born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. There are similarities that I've mentioned to you before. And verse 8, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet. It means he was helpless, that he was weak. He could not walk. Being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped, and he walked. When the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Laconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. The gods are come down. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't you like to be worshipped as a god? I think you need to be careful. Always remember, you're nothing but a man. You're still just a man. And I've mentioned this before. It doesn't matter who the fastest man in the world is. He's still just a man. The greatest golfer in the world, but he's still just a man. The greatest boxer in the world, uh, he's still just a man. doesn't matter what else. They're still just a man. And they all die. I was told that they talked about this here, Whitney Houston, that she was known as the voice. She still died. They still die. Because of how great you are, or if you don't consider yourself anything, everybody, we're just people. We're born, we live, and we die. And they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas, and they had to stop them. So in verse 12, and they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, he says, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands, garland is just reef of flowers, unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passion with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities, these worthless things, unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. So they were trying to convince them, look, we're just people just like you. But we want you to turn to the true and living God, not to us, to the Lord. And he says in verse 16, Who in time past suffered or permitted all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. And that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. In other words, everybody's a sinner. 
And everybody has gone their own way. You read that in the book of Isaiah in chapter 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. And everybody in every nation, everybody does their own thing. And God will let you go your own way. But he still demands that every one of us go his way. But he'll permit you to go your own way. You can accept the truth or you can rebel against the truth. So the Bible says, go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I once went my own way. And most everybody else in the whole world, if they trusted Christ as Savior at one time, you were a sheep going the wrong way. And you heard the truth and you trusted Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ is the way. And everybody wants to go to heaven has to go through him. No man cometh unto the Father except through him. And he says in verse 17, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven. In other words, regardless of all the people on the earth that went their own way, isn't God still good to us? He still lets everybody enjoy some sunshine, some rain, good health, air to breathe, and gives you pretty much a good life. And he says he, it rains on the just and the unjust. And the reason that God is so good is because the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Hold your place right here and look over there in the book of Romans. The book of Romans in chapter 2. In chapter 2. And just look there in verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgeth. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. In other words, whenever you point out somebody else's sins, you got some. Because everybody's a sinner. So you can always see the sins in everybody else's life, but it's most difficult to see them in your own life. So he says, you're guilty of the same thing. In verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. In other words, there is a God who is going to judge all of us. In verse 3, and thinkest thou this, O man, that judgeth them which do such things and doeth the same? You ought to underline this part of the verse. That thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Just because some people live better than other people doesn't mean you're going to escape the judgment of God. Because you, you don't escape the judgment of God just because you live better than somebody else. You see, there is a, a thing that God has done for all of us and all that we need to do and all that we can do is to accept Christ as our Savior. But He has things that He does and what He reveals. And so as you read the second chapter, now the first chapter talks about how that the world God made. And then in chapter 2 talks about the conscience of man that can use reason. And the word of God that uses revelation that God reveal. So the world and the word is what reveals these things to us. So that you and I have a conscience. And the thing that reveals to you and I that we are accountable to a God is because you and I are capable of discernment. That's why we are able to judge somebody as being right and wrong. He says that which you're able by your own conscience to judge whether somebody's right or wrong, you have given to God the evidence that he needs that you can discern. And that's written down there in verse 15, but I'll show you that in just a second. But look up there first of all in verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? And forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that, and here's a phrase you ought to mark in your Bible, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance or to a change of mind. 
You see, God is good even to the lost man. God is good even to the wicked man. Because God wants to use his goodness to draw men to him. And so he says, but in verse 5, after the hardness and impenitent heart treasures up into thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So you see, God is going to judge every man according to his work, what he says, what he thinks, what he does, to those people who have never trusted Christ as Savior. And so because of that, there is going to be this judgment by the Lord upon every individual. But if you think that you can, by your life, live good enough to attain unto eternal life, do it. But you'll find out that no one has, no one can. So in verse 7, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life, seek it and see if you can find it by your works, but you never will. And so he says, every man, in verse 9, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, Jew first, also to the Greek. So every man's going to be judged, verse 10, glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, Jew first, also Gentile. So it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. If you can, by your works, attain unto righteousness, so be it. But the Bible already tells us, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You'll find that in the very next chapter. The consummation of the matter No man is able to live good enough. So the law shows that the Jew doesn't qualify, and the revelation of man's conscience shows that man does not qualify. So that regardless, whether you're Jew or Gentile, God uses the law, the world, the conscience, what is placed in the heart of man. You cannot, by your works, justify yourself. That's why everybody needs a Savior. And so whenever you go over to chapter 3 of Romans chapter 3, what is the world verdict? Well, it says in verse 9, What then, are we better than they? No and no wise, for we have before proved both, get to Jew and Gentile, that they're all what? All under sin. Look in verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world, you ought to see that, underline it, all the world become guilty before God. Now if you can earn it, go ahead. But God says no man can earn it. Therefore, in verse 20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now look there in chapter 2 of the book of Romans, and go down there to the last part of verse 13, where you see in verse 13, but the doers of the law shall be justified. If you will do it, but see, nobody ever had. And then he concludes that that no man ever has, and that no man ever will. And he makes a statement, verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Talking about the Gentiles mentioned in verse 14. Their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the means while accusing or else excusing one another. So when you have the discernment to pass judgment upon somebody as being right or wrong, you're showing that you have discernment of right and wrong, which makes you guilty. You knew. You know the truth. 
And because of that, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now go back to the book of Acts in chapter 14. Back to the book of Acts in chapter 14. And you'll notice there in verse 19, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. They went from being gods to being cursed. They're going to make them gods. And some Jews came in and said, hey, we're against them and they're bad. And by the time they got through with them, look how fast they were able to change all those people. And they were worshiping and now they're stoning them. I mean, it didn't take very long, did it? Boy, the glory of this life is fleeting very fast. It doesn't last. Uh, well, what I want you to do is hold your place right there and look in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. And you'll notice there in chapter 12 a statement that I believe refers back to this incident where Paul was left for dead. You see there in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, Paul says, It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. He said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. Now, I believe this is talking about him. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows how that he was caught up into paradise, heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my own infirmity. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. In other words, what I saw, and what I heard, I can't tell you. Lest if I told you, you would think of me of something else other than just a man. So in order to keep him humble and he wouldn't get so bent out of shape and get so big head, as we often say, become so proud, God put a thorn in the flesh and he was hindered for the rest of his life. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh was, but it was always like Satan was beating him up. How would you like to walk around and somebody like Mike Tyson always beating on you? Just always beating up on you. Every time you turn around, he's beating you up. Wouldn't that keep you humble? I mean, just always beating you up. Now, we don't know if it was because of his bad eyes or whether just he just had a little scrawny body, little shrivel-up Jew. Don't know what the problem was. But whatever it was, he asked the Lord three times to remove it, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, I'll give you enough grace that you can bear it. Well, thanks, God. <laughs> Sometimes that's what he does with us. He says, um, my grace is sufficient I've had people tell me, I just don't know if I can bear anymore. And then he got worse. And God sometimes has to show you, see there, you're stronger than you thought. Or it wasn't as bad as you thought it was. Now it's bad. But God has ways of teaching us. Go back to the book of Acts, chapter 14. I believe that he was stoned and left for dead. And so in verse 20, Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel, you ought to underline those words. That's what he did. He went over preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is not the, you know, the, 
the image in the book of Daniel. Preaching the gospel is not about the children of Israel and, you know. I've had people think that, you know, as long as you teach the Bible, that's the gospel. Teach anything in the Bible, that's the gospel. No, the gospel is mainly the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ on how a heathen can become a righteous man. The justification by faith. I could preach a lot of things and never give the gospel of how a man can be saved. And a lot of preachers do that. They preach wonderful sermons, but if a person was sitting there and they were lost, they wouldn't have a clue on how to get to heaven. I believe you should give the gospel. So he made the statement here in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And then they began to make a, a roundabout trip and went back through some of the same places that they had already been. And verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. See, continuing in the faith is not automatic. So you may lead some people to the Lord, and sometimes you get a chance to follow them up, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get a chance. I used to love that whenever we used to have ranch, and we'd have, you know, four or 500 kids, and some of those teenagers would come out, and they'd trust Christ as Savior. But, I man, I wish they would all come back all the time because I wanted to teach them so much. And I had a great big old chart, and I would teach them stuff in ranch. That's what they would get if they went to Bible college. So I taught the kids a lot of scripture, and I laid it out for them on the dispensations, and I taught the, the rapture and the tribulation period and the thousand-year reign. And I mean, the people that just trust the Lord. But they would learn all this stuff. When you read the book of Thessalonians, you find out that he was on with them a couple of weeks. And yet it says that they, they knew all these things. And he says, I taught you all this before. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, let me remind you again. Well, he hadn't been there long, and yet, but he taught a lot of things. Taught them all about the tribulation, Christ coming back again, and all these things. And taught them predestination and about foreknowledge and all this. It's, it's amazing what he taught in just a short period of time. But I love to watch those teenagers come, and then they start asking questions. And whenever I get through, and one by one, kids come up there, and I have sometimes 10 or 15 standing around and trying to see what's this, and what's this about, and what's this about. And then I would ask them questions. Ranch is over with. But they'd still be asking questions. Didn't, not every night, but most nights it would because some of the kids now were coming to college and they were bringing kids to ranch. And so afterwards they'd come up there and they would be explaining it to the kids that they got to come and they had trusted Christ as Savior. And so they would always peek and see if anybody raised their hand, you know, to get saved. And they would talk to them and try to follow up with them and try to get them to come back again and try to get them in the church. And it was a, it was a difficult thing. But we ran buses, and that made it a little easier for the kids. If we hadn't run buses, none of those kids would have ever come. And I think, what if we'd have never run those buses? Because they have to have a way to get there. And sometimes parents will bring the kids, but a lot of times parents won't. And so I remember one time in Al Safford, we went to uh, Hammond, Indiana, to see their youth group, see what they were doing. And so they were having their camp, and so these teenagers were there, and so we went up there on a Friday night, I think it was, or Thursday night. They, they had a soul winning night anyway. If you had a car, they wanted you to come and help take some teenagers out soul winning. And so they would always have at least, you know, two in a car so that, you know, protection for them. So we said we'd volunteer. So we got a couple kids, and they got in the car with us. And so we drove them around. They said, we'll go here, and they went there. And, and so they had these cards and uh, some of the houses, and they were people that had come to church, and they had teenagers, and so they'd go by and just to see the teenagers. And they'd go up there, and they'd talk to them a little bit, and they'd come back to the car. 
we weren't allowed to get out of the car. We had to stay in the car and wait on them. And so they'd come back, and they would just be so discouraged. They were home, but we didn't get a chance to talk to them. Or we'd go to another house. And they would talk and say, well, they wanted to get saved, but uh, they didn't want to pray. And after about three times of this, I turned around and I says, let me ask you something. You already know all the scriptures to use. You, you know the same verses that we use. I said, but if I could show you a way to present the gospel that might work a little bit better than the way you're doing it. I says, would you want to know? He said, well, yeah. So I turned around there in the seat and I got my wallet and I showed them. They knew every scripture. They knew the Romans road. They knew all the verses. I said, just let me just walk you through this. And I showed it to them. For example, somebody might be watching by the internet and says, I want to know what, what that wallet thing he's talking about. This is what I'm talking about. This is you and me, and she's, they're sitting in the back seat, there's two of them. And so me and Allison, this is you and me, and this is sin. We all have sin on us. The Bible says that God loves us, hates our sin. See, that's point number one, is we're all sinners. Point number two, wages sin is death. And point number three, you have to be perfect to go to heaven. See, God says to go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God, no sin. But number four is that you can't earn eternal life. It's not by your works. So you can't save yourself, Ephesians 2, 8 9. Number five, this hand represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Christ died. He took all of our sins. He paid for them on the cross, came back from the dead. Says that number six, all you have to do is believe that he did it for you. If you will believe that, God says number seven, you can know you're going to heaven. So if you'll believe it, you can know you have eternal life and know that you're going to heaven whenever you die. And so I explained it to him. I said, do you understand that? She said, yes, that's great. Do you mind if we use that? I said, no, that'd be fine. She said, I know where there's some kids. So we drove down and there was a school and they were letting out. The kids were everywhere. And we weren't supposed to get out of the car. So we just pulled up there. And so they got out. I said, all right, let's just watch them. Let's just watch Because we can see them. We're sitting right there on the curb. And all of a sudden, they're talking to each other. You know, they were going through the thing. And we sat there and we watched for about a half an hour. They came back and said, we had about 14, trust the Lord. You say, you, they can't do that. Yes, you can. See, they were bold enough to go. They had the message already down. They just didn't have a good tool. And they said, we need to make sure that our youth director understands this. Because, see, the way they would do it, is that they had all this stuff, and then when they get down to the place where, does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. Would you like to pray in right now and receive Christ as your Savior? And a lot of people, they want to get saved, but they don't want to pray. And so, no, no. So they don't know what to do then. There's nothing in here that says you have to pray to be saved. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And most people, they don't see that, and they think they've got to pray a certain prayer. I prayed a prayer, but if I had never believed it in my heart, I still wouldn't have been saved. I was saved because I believed it if I'd never said a word to anybody. Can you sit here and listen to what I'm saying and never pray a prayer? You say, Lord, I, that makes sense to me. I believe that. I believe that. Now, I'm not against people praying. I've led a lot of people to the Lord in prayer. But I get them to follow me, but I simply want them to understand their praying doesn't save them. Is it will you believe that he did it for you? And so whenever you believe it, 
God says he would save you and give you as a free gift everlasting life. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. You must believe that what he did on the cross was for you. He did this. For, he paid for all my sins. If he paid for all my sins, how many do I have to pay for? None. I can't pay for one sin. Why? They're all paid. That's why there's not one sin to condemn me to hell. Because he paid for all my sins. The most powerful words in the world, Christ died for my sins. Anyway, they were all excited. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat if everybody around the world all agreed on how you should tell people how to go to heaven? So you can do it your own way, but you ought to have a way of doing it. You may not use my method, but the method should not contradict the message. And sometimes people get the idea, you can only get saved if you walk an aisle, because that's the only way they ever see anybody get saved. You don't have to walk an aisle to get saved. You don't even have to raise your hand. You don't have to sign a card. All you got to do is believe it. Those are things that we do because we want to know if what we said made sense. And like I've said before, a lot of churches may have you stand and sing 15 verses of Just As I Am. But they don't really believe that it's just as I am. It's just as you ought to be. Because now when they get you to come down to the front, they want you to promise you're not going to be bad anymore. Turn from your sin. And you've got to promise that you're going to make Christ the Lord and the master of your life. That means promise to be good. So you're coming just as I am. And you've got to stop being bad and start being good. That's not the gospel. That's not good news. The good news is you come just like you are. You don't promise anything. You don't quit anything. You don't join anything. You just, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. Christ died for me. And I trust him and him alone is my only hope of going to heaven. And God that he would save you and give you a free gift, everlasting life. Best news in all the world. Let's take a look at these verses right quick. In verse 23, he says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord, on whom they believed. So they believed on the Lord. So you only get believers in place of leadership in the Lord's work. So in the church, it's to be elders and deacons. And that's the only two groups that you find. And so he makes a statement in verse 24. And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, remember that's where the other Antioch was at. There's two Antiochs, one in Syria and the other one up here in Pisidia, which is in the northern part of the place called Galatia or Pergus. Philia, I'll get it right in a minute. In verse 25, and when they had preached the word there in Perga, they went down into Italia and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. They were committed to do their work. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. This is why I like you to hear at times what's happening with ranch or the soul winners that go out on Friday night. I, I want you to know what's being done. Or if they go to the fair, I, what's being done. So that's why I liked it whenever sometimes the different ones will call me up and says, yeah, yeah, I just want to let you know, I led so-and-so to the Lord, or I witnessed to somebody. I want to know. But God says it's for the people, the church. They come back and rehearse. So whatever... You know, we do, we're supposed to be thankful that it was accomplished, but we realize that God opened up the doors. God opened up doors. All I did was go through it. I don't open doors, I just go through the doors. I trust the Lord to open up opportunities, and I believe that he will. And then, he says, there they abode long time with the disciples. Because, you see, it's easy to win somebody to Christ. 
The hard part is discipling, getting people to grow in the Lord. But most of the people that we might win to the Lord will never be strong in the Lord unless they are involved and get involved in a local church. They will not be strong. And that's why there's a great work that we need to do yet. We've got to do a lot more on follow-up with getting people that trust Christ as Savior to get involved. That's why we've got to have different kinds of ministries that reach all different kinds of people. And that's why you've got to have everybody working along that basis. Is it possible to trust Christ as my Savior without making Him Lord of my life? Is it true that if Christ is not Lord of all, He is not Lord at all? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book. Or write by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Jesus is coming, so keep looking up. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.